Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Exclusive interview with Labor Secretary Scalia. We will bring you the latest on why he's optimistic. He says the jobs are set to come back. And we go to Pennsylvania, where the president was earlier this week in Allentown. Congressman Fred Keller, Republican, weighs in. Plus, all of the latest on the 2020 election race on this hot Hot Friday. It's a hot one, but I like it. I'd rather it be hot than cold. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Jobless claims filed this week, dipping under 3 million, which in this day and age is a good thing. I spoke with uh, Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia earlier today at the Labor Department. Uh, He was telling me he's optimistic because he thinks one of the data that they're tracking is this sense of optimism. And back in 2008, folks, people thought if they were furloughed or lost their job that their job wasn't going to come back. But today, according to the labor statistic, the Bureau of Labor Statistics of people who have been furloughed or temporarily laid off, it's like through the roof. It's astronomical, astronomical, the confidence that is built in. Uh, to those folks. So, they're, you know, they're, they're looking at, at some optimistic uh, numbers. I want to take it to Pennsylvania, where Congressman Fred Keller joins us. Congressman, you're a Republican from Pennsylvania's 12th district. I was grew up in Delco, so I know the state very well. The president was in Allentown. What do he say? Well, the president came down to uh, Owens and Minor to see the great work that's happening uh, from Pennsylvanians that are, that are helping supply PPE, not just around the Commonwealth, but around the nation. And that optimism is alive and well in the Commonwealth. Uh, many people, and the reason the optimism is because people want to get back to work. They want to do it safely, but they want to get back to work. And I think that's why so many people are optimistic. So you're on the uh, Committee on Oversight Reform. You're also on the uh, Education and Labor uh, Committee. The Democrats, Speaker Pelosi, they put out a bill, like $3 trillion. Uh, I, I take it you oppose it. Uh, but is there? Any, do you think that there will eventually be some type of compromise economic stimulus bill? Uh, and if so, when? And if not, what relief should folks get? Well, I, the best stimulus is a job. Okay, and that's what people, you know, just by the optimism we talked about the secretary saying in Bureau of Labor Statistics, that's what people want. They want, they want to be able to, to provide for themselves and their families and their communities, and the best way to do that is a job. And, and the bill that the speaker is putting forward doesn't even, doesn't even talk about that stuff. It talks about more dependence and more government control, and that's not what the people want. So, uh, you know, what we need to focus on in, in Washington 
And what the states need to focus on is how we open our economy safely and people get back to work because that's what they want to do. You know, take me back to the days when you were in Conestoga Wood Specialties in a factory working at the plant in Beavertown, Pennsylvania, cabinets, wood products. You know, you this is ground zero and you know it probably better than most of your colleagues in the house about this is ground zero for the trade the trade war you know whether it's USMCA or whether it's trade with China I mean these are jobs and 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 I guess you know there's optimism but you know this when you talk to your constituents I'm sure there's also a very real sense of economic anxiety because we don't know when this thing's going to end. And now they're talking about the potential for it making a horrific comeback, the COVID, a comeback in the fall. So how do we balance that? I hear you on the economy. How do we balance the very real health concerns of folks who, quite frankly, are having to file for unemployment and they never even in a million years would have wanted to do that? Well, yeah, yeah and that's the one thing. You know, the constituents that, that I represent, and you know, you mentioned the fact that I worked in a factory. And you know, I look forward to getting up every day and being able to go to work. But the, the one thing, having worked in that factory that I know, and, and, and having managed that factory later on and having my own small business, is the fact that people are very, very resourceful, very intelligent, very thoughtful, whether they own the business, whether they're part of the success of the business because they work there. Uh, they know that, and I know that they, that they can figure this out and be safe. They just want government to trust them to be able to do that. And quite frankly, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, our governor doesn't have that trust in the people. He has the trust in the mega retailers, but he doesn't have any trust in the people that are, are, are owning these businesses in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that they can do it. And, and that, quite frankly, I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people that want to get back to work, that know how to do it, and, and really just want to get back to, I'll say, the old normal, which is the booming economy that we had prior to this invisible en enemy attacking us that was, actually was unleashed through the policies and the rollback of uh, regulation that was realized on January 20th, 2017. Congressman Fred Keller's on the line. Uh, he's a Republican from Pennsylvania's 12th Congressional District, uh, represents some rural communities in the state uh, as well. Uh, you, you, you alluded to Governor Tom Wolf, a Democrat, and, 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 you know, I really think there isn't a better illustration of the contrast in where Republicans and Democrats are right now than in the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, what, give us a, a, an update in terms of, the, the of, of where Republicans are against the Democratic governor, uh, because he's facing a ton of pressure from the right, uh, whether it's President Trump in Allentown or yourself, in terms of uh, a very slow reopening and not really, uh, Pennsylvania's not ranking too high in terms of, of, of all the other states, in terms of, a, of, of how it's been impacted. Well, I'll say this. It's not a matter of Republicans against uh, Governor Wolf. It's a matter of Pennsylvanians against Governor Wolf. I mean, when, when I talk to people, I don't go out and ask them party affiliation and, and, and any of this stuff. It is Pennsylvanians that are upset with the way that Governor Wolf has mismanaged uh, the Commonwealth during this, this whole thing. Uh, you know, when, when he started his shutdown order, uh, and, and here, here's how, how it was not thought out. He did not communicate with the other elected individuals in the Commonwealth, meaning the General Assembly and county commissioners. He just did it on his own uh, on a Thursday night. And, and, and it, here's how much sense it didn't make. He, he let paper mills open but didn't let loggers go out and cut down trees. Now, the governor and That's a big deal if you work in the plant. Woods, it takes wood pulp. 
to make paper. So that's part of it. And then you look at the rest of what happens is he has his color-coded reopening, but he can't tell anybody what it means now that you're in yellow, what you need to do to get to green. Uh, so and be able to do more business and have more things open. So here again, it's not Republican-Democrat. It's we have a governor that has poorly managed this crisis, and we have Pennsylvanians that say, hey, look, we want you to start working with the other people in Pennsylvania that were elected to represent the best interests of Pennsylvanians and not the governor of New York. Pennsylvania sounds like a mess, to be candid with you, in terms of what I'm hearing. And, and then you look at Wisconsin, oh, that looks like a mess because of what's going on there. I said, can I jump in here? Pennsylvania is yeah. not a mess. No, not, not Pennsylvania. The situation looks, I mean, okay. I'm from because, Pennsylvania. Hey, takes one to know one, buddy. <laughs> I got family there. I'm our, saying our, the situation. Our governor's a mess. I'll say that. <laughs> But no, not what our, I'm saying is, let me ask you. Let me ask standing. you one final question. Regardless, though, do you think there will be another round of stimulus? Uh, you know, that's. Uh, I, I hear a lot of talk going on about that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to predict what what may or may not get passed through the House and the Senate and signed into law. What I'm going to say is, we need to focus on making sure that people have jobs because the best stimulus is a job, and that's what people want. And, and that's what our greatest economy in the world has ever seen has been built upon, and we need to get back to that. Am I going to get to go to an Eagles game at the link this fall? Uh, I, I would certainly hope so. I, I hope I, so. I hope so. I would hope so. I hope. I, I, I would hope we would be able to get back to that. It's the one thing I miss is, is all the, the activity and the interaction, and I, I, I'm hopeful that we'll get back to that very much, very rapidly, sooner rather than later. Congressman Fred Keller, Republican from Pennsylvania. I wasn't knocking the state. Okay, it's a Keystone state. I appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Uh, our motto about... used to be America starts here, and what our motto is going to be is the great American comeback starts here. All right, you heard it here first from Congressman Fred Keller right here on a Friday. Earlier today, sticking with the economy, I was at the, I was at the Labor Department and I spoke with uh, Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia. Take a listen to our interview. The numbers uh, for last week were um, a little bit under 3 million is what was reported. It's a, it's a high number. And um, we're looking at 36 million Americans have filed for unemployment over the last couple of months. And that's just uh, a lot of hardship. Um, so it's, it's difficult to see. We uh, are reminded daily of the sacrifice that workers and their families are making as we try to beat the virus. Um, there uh, are some positive signs there. The number of people filing is declining. I think that uh, uh, a number of the people reported as filing last week were probably uh, filers earlier, uh, but there's a backlog that's being worked through. Uh, and, and we know the situation is so fluid. We know that now actually people are going back to work, and that's um, very good news too. Um, ordinarily we talk about how jobs were lost. So the report we put out uh, a week ago said that 20.5 million jobs were lost. But I look at it as many of those jobs are still there. Those jobs are there. Uh, the workers know they're there. The companies know they're there. Um, and we're preparing for people to go back into those jobs. Does the data reflect that optimism? Do you see that in, the, in, the, in some of the data that's come out, that a lot of workers actually feel that their jobs are still going to be there for them when they return? Yeah, some of the most interesting data, Kevin, is exactly to that point. I, I have a chart, and I, if I could show it to you. This comes from the uh, report that we put out um, last week. It's our really big monthly jobs report. And um, this uh, red line is um, uh, Americans who said that they were on temporary unemployment. The blue line is permanent. So if you go back to when we had a real uh, big uh, slowdown back in 2008, 2009, the blue line went way up. 
people said I'm permanently unemployed, but now it's the red line. Interesting. Nearly 90% of people we surveyed said they were temporarily unemployed. The Fed came out with a report uh, yesterday, very similar survey results. 91% of people on unemployment said it was temporary. Well, speaking of Fed Chair Jay Powell's report, one of the other points in that report was that for folks who are making less than 40000 annually, they are going to be significantly, significantly negatively impacted by the economic effects of this. On Capitol Hill, Democrats are pushing for another round of economic stimulus. Do you think, Mr. Secretary, that the best way to get out of this is more stimulus or to reopen? Uh, I think reopening is uh, really our focus right now. Part of that is we want to help businesses reopen safely, uh, have the right uh, protections for workers there. But uh, it's, it's critical that we reopen, um, again, safely. But it's the private sector, not the government, that drives uh, this nation's economy and that, and that provides jobs. And I do think that although we've had to have some really extraordinary government intervention recently, we have to remember how strong the economy was just a couple months ago and why. And a major part of that was President Trump's focus on uh, reducing tax burdens, reducing unneeded regulatory burdens. Those are keys to a strong economy that we can't lose sight of now. There's been some economists who have been crunching the numbers on the unemployment checks. And some, by some estimates, some individuals who are uh, receiving unemployment uh, benefits are actually receiving more than they were when they were working. Does that concern you? And does that concern you about the potential for them to get back to work, that there might not be that incentive that's there? What you're referring to, Kevin, is the extra $600 a week that uh, President Trump signed in the CARES Act uh, because we thought it was just really important to uh, keep these people who are sacrificing their jobs for the public health as, as near as whole uh, as we could to uh, where they'd been. And, and, and so that was a, a really uh, important benefit. But unemployment benefits are for people who, who don't have a job. So you can't quit your job uh, because you think you might get more on unemployment. And you can't refuse to go back because you think you might get more. Uh, we have been emphasizing to the states that as we reopen, uh, the states should be making sure that people are making that transition back to the workplace. That was Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia. Here's a fast fact for you. After the interview, I... Uh you know, I was trying to make small talk, and I said, what's your favorite band? He said, The Clash. The Clash. Secretary Scalia likes The Clash. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Headlines crossing the Bloomberg Terminal as we speak, folks. And President Trump telling reporters just before he heads to Camp David he's not interested in talking to Xi Jinping right now. Again, President Trump, headlines crossing the Bloomberg Terminal, asked if he has plans to talk to uh, the president of the Communist Party of China, Xi Jinping, he says he has no plans and doesn't want to, doesn't really feel like talking to him right now. All right, so that's where things stand. Joining us on the line, sticking with the economy, Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicon and former senior economic advisor for the Democratic presidential candidates, including President Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. He's got a great piece out. He's a friend of the program, mind you. He's got a great piece out called The Real Unemployment Race rate is worse than Trump will tell us in the Washington Monthly. He writes, as depressing as it may be, it's not the full story. The Labor Department also reported Friday that the number of employed Americans fell 
by t- more than 22 million people in April. If you reconcile the gap between 22 million and 15 million, you'll find that the real unemployment rate is much worse. The actual unemployment rate for April was at least 18.6%. Uh, economists said it was 147 Robert, man, Hello? that's some bad news, my friend. Yeah, well, there's, uh, on the economy, there's only bad news and worse news. Oh, and come this on, is a- it's Friday, Robert. <laughs> what can I say? It is the dismal science, Kevin. Um, I think of this, the unemployment issue, as kind of a technical version of what Trump calls fake news. When layoffs skyrocket suddenly, as they have since the pandemic took off, the technical categories and models that the Bureau of Labor Statistics uses to measure unemployment, they just don't fully apply. Uh, And they kind of short circuit, and it produces a big underestimate. Let me give you a big example of this. Um, And that is how people who were furloughed from their jobs in April were counted by the BLS. Now, normally, the Labor Department says that anyone who's laid off temporarily, that is furloughed, is not counted as unemployed. Now, in March, BLS acknowledged that people working for a business closed by the pandemic could be on furlough or they could be unemployed. 18.2 million people went on furlough in April, and the BLS decided that about 4 million of them were actually unemployed. But a study from the University of Chicago estimates that 42 percent of recent furloughs will turn out to be permanent. See, that's depressing and bears repeating, though. 42% yeah. of, of recent furloughs uh, could uh, could be permanent. And let me, let me follow up on this, because when I was at the Labor Department today, uh, I heard Secretary Scalia say that uh, essentially that he believes that people are optimistic. But it's one thing to have optimism, but is that optimistic a false hope? Well, whether people are optimistic or not, um, we're dealing with, you know, an unprecedented reality. Um, Americans are always optimistic. And they will be, and these, the the 18 million people who went on furlough in April will be optimistic until they see the economy beginning to recover and they're not part of it. Um, Another... Now, there's another issue, and that's how the Labor Department decides who's left the labor force. Because if you're not in the labor force, you're also not counted as unemployed. Exactly. I mean, and this goes back to, like, Economics 101, Robert Shapiro of Sonicon and uh, an economic (laughs) advisor to presidential candidates Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. I mean, Robert, I mean, and this is the debate, how they crunch the numbers. And this predates the Trump administration, as you know. But how, how economists crunch the numbers. First of all, they don't take a look at they haven't really kept up with technology of of the web economy and the gig economy. So there's that whole issue. And then, as you rightfully point out, if you're unemployed, you're not even counted. So it's it's incredibly difficult to weigh this. But I I, want to come back to this other issue that you point out in your piece, Washington Monthly. And folks, please go check it out. It's really, really well done. And he always writes these really thorough pieces. And you write, quote, Uh, Another big problem with the April unemployment report involves how BLS decides who has left the labor force. That's what you were just alluding to. But you go on to suggest that most months the size of the labor force changes little because new people entering it largely offset new retirees, people with new disabilities and those who simply stop working. 
But that's not really the dynamic right now. No. You know, in February, before the virus hit the economy, the labor force shrank by 60,000 people. In April, BLS said the labor force shrank by 6.4 million people, more than 100 times as many as in February, and that it included at least 4.3 million who wanted to work. None of them were counted as unemployed. Um, At a minimum, 25% of them should have been counted as unemployed. Um, Because, you know, the definition of what pushes you out of the labor force is very close to the situation that tens of millions of Americans find themselves in today. Millions, if you're not available for work or if you didn't search for work in the last month, you're not in the labor force. Well, there were millions of people who weren't available for work in April because they had to stay home caring for children whose schools were closed. And millions more didn't look for new jobs because when there have been 33 million new unemployment claims, a job search is pretty pointless. Real talk, real talk from Robert Shapiro, uh, president and CEO of Sonicon, and he's got that great new piece out in Washington Monthly. Hey, Robert, my friend, thanks so much for giving us some unfortunate real talk uh, on this Friday afternoon. Be well, my friend, and I'll talk to you soon. Uh, Coming up, much more on the program. We talked to uh, Maddie Duffler on the jobs day. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli. It's Friday. Finally, Friday. And it's a beautiful day here in the nation's capital. The sun is shining. It's kind of warm outside. I broke a sweat. You know, it's it's nice. It's a far, far cry from the, the days of winter of last week when it was <laughs> freezing gold. Former Republican Ohio Congressman Jim Renacci is on the line. He represented Ohio's 16th congressional district from 2011 uh, to 2019. Congressman, I remember chasing you around the halls of Congress. What are you up to these days? Well, Kevin, since I left uh, Washington, I came back. And, of course, you know, I ran for uh governor and then was asked to run for Senate. So I spent uh, some time in the state, started a uh, 
uh, a, a think tank, basically, on state issues, Ohio State issues, called Ohio's Future Foundation, really trying to make sure Ohio can compete in the future. And then got back into the business world. I'm doing a, uh, a number of uh, consulting uh, jobs with about, uh, oh, I'm going to say about 25 businesses and about uh, 14,000 people throughout the state, sit on a couple boards. So I'm busy. I'm definitely busy back in the business world, but also staying in the political world when it comes to Ohio. Okay, so take us to the political world. What's going on with Ohio in terms of reopening? It's obviously a crucial battleground state in the presidential election. Where are you guys? We heard about PA at the top of the show. Where's Ohio? Well, look, Ohio uh, uh, and Governor DeWine shut the state down very quickly and very early. Um, and, uh, and now, with the pressure of the state legislature and many uh, Republicans in the state, um, he started to open it back up. There were some that believed he would have liked to, kept, to have kept it closed throughout the month of May, but uh, he's starting to open back up. Uh, restaurants today uh, are opening only outside patios. Next week, inside. He had barbershops open today. A lot of this was pressure that was put on the governor by business groups and by the Republican state legislature that said, we need to open things up. Uh, Ohio was not prepared going in economically, and clearly um, they're not going to be as prepared coming out of this either because, uh, you know, financially they weren't prepared for a recession, and now we have much greater, much greater problems in a recession. So that's what I want to understand here is because, you know, I, we, we heard from uh, a, an, advi an economic advisor to Democratic president presidents uh, earlier in the program, and we heard from Secretary Scalia. And so I think the balancing act of and the tension of reopening the economy uh, and, and getting people back to work versus this issue of, of the health concerns is a very real one. And, and for workers, especially those uh, who are on the front lines of this, whether they're working in factories or plants or refineries, it's a, it, it really transcends political ideology, this, this real sense of, okay, you want the economy to reopen, but you're kind of nervous to get back to work because of all the health concerns. It's, it's a psychological almost uh, issue as well. Well, absolutely, Kevin. And remember, it's the fear factor that I talk about all the time. We have yeah, you do. governors and, and, and politicians who continue to talk about the health risk, the health risk, the health risk. And what they have forgotten about is there is a health risk also that comes into play when you have businesses shutting down, when you have an economy collapsing. I mean, I just posted a story that I read today about, uh, you know, abuse in the homes, uh, but we also have suicides up. We also have, uh, uh, you know, uh, drug addiction, drug overdoses up. Those are the fallouts from an economic downturn. Um, but at the same time, I'm not too sure, you know, if you look at the statistics, I always say this every time, eight out of 10 people, this is on WebMD, it's a quick uh, place to get some facts. WebMD says eight out of 10 people who get coronavirus will only have mild illness and 97 to 99% will recover completely. And if you talk about the positive side versus the negative side, we keep talking about the 2% and the, and the problems that you can get. And, yes, it is a deadly disease. And we and don't I have a vaccine. I mean, I got to jump in here. We also don't have a vaccine. And so, I mean, it's a very real, real, uh, real concern. But I hear you. It's the balancing act. And what you're, you're, argu you're arguing, we got to 
I hear what you're saying. Go ahead. Jump in. Go ahead. You, you got to balance. That's yeah. all I'm saying. You got to balance. You got an economic curve, and I've written a, a, a number of articles on this too. We have a health curve and an economic curve. You got to balance them both. Okay. I got to, you know, I want to ask one more question on this, and then I have a question uh, on, on sports because you were in the Arena Football League. You were a, a driving force behind that. So I have a question on whether sports are going to return in the fall and how you would manage that. Uh, but before we get to that, um, you know, this issue of, of uh, the presidential election and Ohio being such a crucial battleground state, Trump versus Biden. How is the, how do you think in a battleground state, forget nationally, in the battleground state of Ohio, how is the COVID pandemic going to impact the way the can the way the campaigns uh, campaign in 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 Ohio? Well, look, people are going to vote with their economics and their pocketbook. And I know the president understands this very well. And he was a driving fact in in the economy just booming until COVID-19 came around. But the problem is politics is always 30 days. I mean, I was in business for almost three decades. I was in politics for almost a decade uh, in, in the House. But I also understand that politics are always the last 30 days. And you go back to George Bush Sr., 92% approval rating in fe- February, loses the election in November. It's always about what's going on in that last 30 days. And that's why um, in Ohio, in the battleground states, many of these people who have crossed over, they were Democrats who said, I'm tired of what's been going on. I didn't you know, make any progress under a Democrat. Um, uh, and Hillary Clinton, of course, was part of the political scene for so long. I want somebody different. The question is how they're going to think about that in November when they say, well, I got somebody different. And am I better off today than I was four years ago? And, you know, that's always the line that's going to be used. And that's probably the line Biden's going to use. Are you better off than you were four years ago? And people will make that decision inside that voting booth. Jim Renacci's on the line. He's a former congressman. Of course, he's a businessman. He was on financial services. He uh, ran for Senate as well. Okay, I, th- it's Friday. I'm going to have a little fun. Okay, uh, you were on the uh, you were uh, uh, a managing board member of the former Arena Football League and on the Columbus Destroyers. Okay, so you know the business side and like you know all of the uh, the management side of, of professional sports. People want to go back to see a game in the fall. Tell us about what you would do if you were advising a, a pro sports team um, and, and some of the concerns and the risks that they're going to have to weigh uh, come this fall. Well, first off, uh, you're right. I, the economics of sports teams are pretty interesting, and it depends on what uh, sports franchises you're looking at. I also was a bidder for the Pittsburgh Penguins, so I understand back in the early 2000s, I do understand you know, major uh, sports as well, and got involved in baseball. And it's going to come down to three sources of revenue. You have sponsorships, uh, you have TV, and then you have people in the seats. And those people in the seats also buy concessions. So remember, you're losing a significant but not 100% of the revenue if you don't have people in the seats. So are you going to be in sponsorships? I always chuckle because – most of those sponsorships are for the people in the seats so they can see them. So that's the other source of revenue and then TV. So I think uh, what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to get people back into the seats. We're going to have to get them comfortable. We could start first, I believe, by having just TV. I guarantee you 
the NASCAR race that's going to be run this weekend, there will be people that never watch NASCAR watching it. Because yeah, I'll be one of them. The, I watched a UFC yeah. fight two nights ago, and I'm, I don't even know how they keep score. I don't know, but I thought, you know what? Might as well watch. There's nothing else. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Right. And th- no, and think about it. It's the first live sports event in a long time. There's also Since a golf Corn match. Ball. It's going to be. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and think about it. Professional golfers are going to carry their own clubs for the first time probably since they were 15 years old. <laughs> that's going to be happening. So people will watch those things, but that's not enough money to pay the bills. So I think you're going to see a lot. Of, you see it in Major League Baseball. They're trying to get some concessions out of the players because there's just not going to be all those revenue sources, but you got to get back. You got to get the TV money. Then you got to get the sponsors, but the sponsors are going to want people in the seats. And then you got to get those people back in the seats. Jim Renacy. I mean, did you think you were going to talk about the business of sports on a Friday with Bloomberg radio? Did you? Well, you know what? I get on the radio. I get on radio station. I never know what I'm going to get thrown at me. So it's always great. It's always great to talk about different things. Former Congressman Renacci, it's great to catch up with you, my friend. And we'll talk later. All right. Thank you very much. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. It's Friday, folks. Beautiful day in the neighborhood, as uh, Mr. Rogers used to say. Uh, Joining us on the line is Maddie Duppler. Maddie is a friend of the program. I always mess up her title, so I want to get it right. Maddie is the founder of Forward Strategy, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Maddie, how are you? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. That was perfect, Kevin. I don't know why you're always so worried about the title thing. (laughs) I'm worried about pronunciation of names and people's titles. Uh, because I never want to mess them up. And, and, and it, where I trip are the people that I talk with a lot. Uh, and so you're always <laughs> on for these jobless numbers uh, lately, especially. And, I, and I'm like, oh, Maddie's on. And then I just, you know, you know, forward strategies, forward strategies and senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union. Maddie, I was at the Labor Department. They're very optimistic. But, I, you know, and then I talked to Robert uh, Shapiro earlier today on the show, and, and he's less optimistic I don't know. What are you, are you opt? I mean, we're always optimists here, but we need some real uh, talk yeah. as well. Well, I love Robert. He and I sometimes don't see eye to eye yeah. on this stuff, but I met him on your show. and He's great on this issue. So listen, here's the deal. You know, I think that we now over the past week have had three really important data points to assess the employment situation. One was the April jobs numbers and the unemployment rate, which we got last Friday, which was terrible, historically bad. We talked about that. The other was the Thursday unemployment claims. We get those weekly. Those are starting to decrease. So that's like a little silver lining of optimism. Under 3 million was a a optimistic number to see. That's a down from the high at the end of March, where it was almost 7 million people claiming unemployment in a week. Uh, But thirdly, we got the jolt numbers today. So that's jobs um, and labor turnover. And what that is that tells us the hiring situation. And what I take away from the jolt numbers that we saw today is that this economic disruption that we're seeing is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And it really kind of pulled the rug out from underneath businesses. And why do I say that? Well, because hiring actually didn't slow down. And the interesting thing about Jolt is it looks at the last month, the last day 
of the months of the data they're looking at. So the last day of March is what we were looking at for the for the employment picture. And people were still pretty much hiring on the same pace they were in February. Now, that probably changed a lot in April. Uh, but it seems to me that businesses really were on track to continue to churn, and the employment picture, which was extremely robust heading into the coronavirus, was very, very strong. And I think that there's reason for optimism only in the sense that that means we had a good foundation that we entered the pandemic from, um, and the public policy that kind of keeps us afloat until then is what's going to make the difference. So I hear you on that regard, but I also, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, I thought we were talking about it, some of my colleagues and I, we were, uh, it, they did a pretty good job of laying out the, the different shapes of, of a recovery and whether it's a Z curve, a, a Nike swoosh curve, uh, or a, a W or a U shape. I mean, and, and all of that is, is pertaining to the pace of, of an economic mm-hmm. recovery. And it, it would appear that the consensus is that, unfortunately, the economic recovery might be a bit slower than than people and of all political stripes are, are predicting that. Where, where, where do you, where do you weigh I, in I definitely, yeah, Kev, I think that's possible. And like we said, like we've talked about before, this is a public health crisis. Um, I tweeted this earlier today that our economy is powered by consumer spending. 70% of GDP is due to consumer spending. So consumers need confidence to enter back into the economy before we start to see something that looks like a recovery. Where do they get confidence from? Well, they get confidence from state and local leadership giving them clarity on what the rules are going to be as we go back to trying to interact commercially like we did before, how they can do so safely, how we can bring workers back safely. If we have clear rules on that that allow people to feel like they're safe when they go back out in public and they start going back to restaurants and start going back to their jobs, then that'll show up in consumer spending. That'll show up in in habits that people have developed, and that will also show up in employment numbers. The businesses don't feel like they're going to get support to get back online and operating in a new kind of normal. Their workers won't have the confidence that they can, you know, have a paycheck in front of them, and consumers won't feel like they can start spending again that they were before because they'll feel uncertain about the future. So at the root of this question of when the economic recovery happens, we really need to get our hands around how we're going to be dealing with the public health question going into these next couple of months. Well, then, but it's 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 beyond this. I mean, and again, I, I really appreciate this conversation because we're able to divorce the issue of, of partisanship with the Republicans and Democrats here inside of the Beltway. I mean, there's so much spin flying around on both sides. I get dizzy, literally. And Ken, but, you know what I think is more important? I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, but ahead. you know what I think actually, like today, it kind of put it into clarity for me was I don't know if you saw in the Wall Street Journal, Stacey Cunningham, um, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, wrote an op ed yes. talking yeah, about like this is how we're going to reopen the. Yeah, yeah. so she talked about how we're going to reopen the floor and we're going to bring people back. To me, this crystallized what I think the real problem is, which is the reopening cannot be a privilege just for the elites in this country. You know, the New York Stock Exchange is going to reopen, right? We need leadership at the state, local, and every level that is just as committed to getting their workers back to work safely as the New York Stock Exchange is to getting traders back on the floor. That's what I want to see, and that I think is going to indicate that what kind of leadership we get in that respect is going to indicate how forceful and how robust this recovery is. I could, yes. And, and I think even the bigger question is, you know, 
the, this conversation that, that, that they're having, you know, and it appeared in testimony on Capitol Hill this week about the resurgence of the virus in the fall. I mean, and, and yeah. you know, like it or lump it, we've talked about it on this program. The reality is the economic effects of this are, are being felt much, much more by uh, folks who are in underserved communities and in lower level socioeconomic backgrounds. You heard that from Fed Chair Jay Powell this week. You've heard it from reports at McKinsey. You've heard it from economists. I mean, across the board. And so how that, how folks grapple with that reality is, you know, really, I think ultimately going to come down to how fast the recovery is. I do want to get your take uh, before in the last two minutes we have on this. We talked domestically, but let's talk globally just for a second. Uh, The president just within the last hour telling reporters uh, and our very own Jennifer Jacobs and Justin Sink before he's heading off to Camp David uh, that uh, he doesn't want to talk to Xi Jinping right now. This tension with the U.S. and China is, is, you know, fascinating. Uh, But do you think the U.S. is going to be able to get Europe to be more responsive to distancing Europe from China over the long term? You know what? I think that these comments from the president indicate more than ever how important it is for us to have a global reaction to China. And this is independent of coronavirus. This is before coronavirus. We started to pull back a little bit from our diplomatic ties with other countries when the best way to keep China or any other kind of aggressive country accountable and transparent is having a coalition that can do that. America can't do that alone. So I I hope that what this does is encourages and fosters more of what we have been doing in the past, which is really fostering those relationships with our allies to use a coalition, a global coalition, to make sure that bad actors are held to account. And by all accounts, China has been a bad actor. They are at fault for what has happened globally with this pandemic. And they need to answer some questions. And every country who cares about the health of their citizens should be asking those questions and we should be standing up together to do it. And that's what I'm fascinated by is that there doesn't appear to be a broader conversation of, of hearings yet. I would imagine that could start. This is what the TPP was supposed to do. This is what it was supposed to do. Trump pulled us out like the first day in office. And I think that we are going to see whether or not we can hopefully re, re bring those relationships back to the table uh, so we can use that kind of strength in numbers to hold China to account. Maddie, did you hear Katy Perry's daisies? No, is this new? Just came out today. Maddie Duffler's always on top of her music. Go check it out. Happy Friday, Maddie, to you and the fam. Happy Friday, Kev. Appreciate it. Founder of Forward Strategies, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference, and always on top of pop music. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Enjoy this weekend. We finally made it to spring. Spring in D.C. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.